You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Nationals podcast. It is June 6th, 2021. On today's show, we discuss the Nationals and their series this weekend against the Philadelphia Phillies. A wild Sunday game capped it off, so we'll discuss that. And the weekend as a whole, how it went, and what is on the horizon for the Nats. All that coming up on today's show. All right, let's get into it. A three-game series for the Nationals this weekend in Philadelphia. They dropped two of three, but not without some drama. Uh, the Nationals it really felt like they should have won two of these three games, but really some unfortunate circumstances. In addition to uh, poor play is what kept them from being able to do so. We'll go Friday to Sunday, discuss what happened and where the Nationals are at right now. So Friday night's game. They won by a score of 2-1, to one, and uh, that was really the story, the, the pitching. You know, a score like 2-1, to one, hey, the pitching's great. It was. Max Scherzer and Zach Wheeler both had really stellar outings. Max gets the win, seven and two-thirds, five hits, one and a run, nine Ks, just one walk, and no long balls allowed. Zach Wheeler, seven and one-third innings pitched, five hits, two earned runs, eight Ks, two walks, one home run allowed. So two really good outings. Both of those are good enough to win a game. They really should be. Uh, but Max was just a bit better over the course of the entire evening. Both teams gave up runs in the fourth inning, and we talked about the Nationals, you know, sustained offense. Tonight was a night where they were the ones who scored again, being able to, to do it more than once. You know, not the entire evening. It wasn't a, it wasn't a night full of offense. The Nationals were able to provide enough offense. Uh, Josh Bell doubled in the fourth. Real Muto singled in the fourth to answer back, and then Juan Soto with an opposite field shot in the sixth inning, gave the Nationals the win. And what's interesting about the opposite field shot, I want to talk about it, really stared down Zach Wheeler for a long time. So it was a kind of an interesting scenario, right, where you're wondering, hey, why the hell did Juan Soto do that? Uh, you know, what, what was the deal between him and Zach Wheeler? And uh, there really nothing was said after, about it after the game. There's really no kind of talk about, hey, why did, you know, what was the deal between those two? But look, he gave Zach a long stare down, let him know about it. Uh, at several points during his home run trot. And it was cool to see, you know, just kind of the, the back and forth. And I know Wheeler didn't really give much reaction. I thought it handled it pretty well. But, um, yeah, th- th- I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought it was a very, uh, very odd kind of, you know, way that things happened. The Nats went one for four, the runners in scoring position, left four guys on base. Uh, the Phillies went two for seven, and they left four guys on base. And so this also tells you, that, you know, that, that Max, when he had traffic on the base paths, was really good. And there were a few times where, you know, he had to deal with guys on base uh, for one reason or another, you know, walks or hits. But he handled it very well, I thought, the entire time. Um, Daniel Hudson and Brad Hand did their jobs as well in a low-scoring contest. And you feel like the Nationals really struggle uh, scoring in some of these games. And when they got a lead like that, those relievers who they've invested a lot in have to make it stick. And they did in this first game. Uh, Trey Turner was one for three. Juan was one for four. Uh, in this game, Josh Bell, the nice two for four outing on this night. Castro, one for four. Avila was one for three. And, and Alex Avila is, is one of those guys, or Avila, however you want to pronounce it, uh, was a guy who was important for them this weekend because with Jan Gomes suffering the injury, they had to deal with, uh, you know, Avila was the guy, right? Avila was the guy catching for them 
throughout the weekend. I mean, no story yet on what Jan Gomes' status is moving forward, but luckily for the Nationals, with the day off, Avila gets a rest. And so I think it's a, uh, I want to say it's two night games coming up. They talked about it on the Nationals radio broadcast, which I listened to for the first probably inning or so of this game today. And uh, they mentioned the pregame, the upcoming schedule, you know, with the uh, kind of how it figures for the, for the catching situation. So two 7-10 games, Avila could catch both of those. Um, your just questions kind of come into play as they head into the weekend. What are they going to do about the catcher spot right now? Uh, with you know Jan on the shelf, and we don't know how long it's going to be with the uh, with the leg injury. We got to see what the deal is moving forward with the Nats at the catcher spot. But I thought he provided them you know some really good defense this weekend. Right, we saw the the horrible base running in that Friday night game. Avila making that tag. Um, yeah, and the Phillies too. I mean, you know they. They boot and kick the ball around a whole lot. We saw it in the, in the next day's game, too. But, uh, yeah, the Nationals kind of you know, taking advantage of some of their mistakes on the base paths uh, in addition to at the plate. So 2-1 Nationals take the first one. And I want to take a break and come back and talk about kind of the mentality the Nationals should have heading into those next two games, a chance to take two or three on the road. The Nats couldn't do it. Talk about what you know really needs to change moving forward if the Nats are going to start capitalizing off of opportunities such as that. Before we move on, a word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Sports Trade. I've been talking a lot lately about Sports Trade. If you guys haven't heard about it, it's where fantasy sports meets the stock market. It's no wonder this company is blowing up. The site is really amazing. I frankly can't believe nobody else has thought of this concept before. Guys, Sports Trade is like, you know, imagine your favorite player is a stock. That's really what it is. You can buy one Soto stock. You can buy Max Scherzer stock. It's uh, it's the fun, you know, it's the new fun way to play fantasy. No, no more of that setting your lineup every day type crap. You know, this is more of a, about the buying and the selling here. Making money with sports trade is simple. Player values rise and fall based on two factors: one, their statistical performance, and two, uh, supply and demand. You know, how much do players want them? How do people want them? How much do people want Juan Soto, Max Scherzer, uh, you know, Stalin Castro? That's kind of how this stuff works. The more shares that are purchased in a player, the higher their value goes. You can instantly buy and sell as many shares in a player as you like, just like the stock market, and watch your players battle and your portfolio value rise. Simply go to sportstrade.com, watch their How It Works video, and then sign up to get started. Sign up today at sportstrade.com and discover the new, fun, and exciting, profitable way in the world of sports trading. This is truly an evolution of fantasy sports. You guys will be amazed. Don't sit in the sidelines any longer. Get in on the action today at sportstrade.com. Today's show is also brought to you by Locker Room. You guys have heard me talk about Locker Room as well. Download the app right now on your Android uh, Android or your iOS device. You guys can interact with other fans, uh, people who are interested you know, in sports, whatever it is, uh, MLB, NBA. They've got different chat rooms. You can interact with podcast hosts, fans, start your own rooms, all of those things. It's like Discord but an audio version of that. So check it out, Locker Room app, wherever you guys get your apps. All right, so the Nationals head into their Saturday and Sunday games with a chance to take two of three from the Phillies, right? They had the opportunity to do it. Now, I know they had Joe Ross, who did not have a good month of May, going on the mound on Saturday, and then they did not know who was going to go on Sunday and ultimately ended up being Austin Voth. But... You know, even with this opportunity, you got to win one of those next two games. I mean, there's no excuse not to, especially with the way that the Phillies played. And the Nationals were able to take advantage 
uh, of this game, you know, of, of the, the Phillies playing poorly, and also Spencer Howard struggling early on. Uh, they ended up getting uh, scoring a run in that third inning to make it one nothing. But the problems for them came in the fourth. In the fourth inning, things got perpetually bad for the Nationals, and they had a couple of these innings. They got one out in the inning. They're up 1-0. Segura reaches base because of a fielding error by Josh Bell. Then Joe Ross hits Bryce Harper. Then Reese Hoskins singles and scores, uh, you know, scores a run right there. Andrew McCutcheon follows that up with a home run, right? So as opposed to the Nationals, you know, being in a situation where, all right, you know, uh, you get the ground out, start the inning, um, you make the right play at first base with Josh Bell. You've got two outs right there, and you're in a better, spot, a better spot as opposed to having guys on base and the pressure being ramped up. And on the broadcast today, uh, I thought, you know, on the radio broadcast part I was listening to, Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler made a good point that it seems like the Nationals, whenever they make an error, you know, their fielding percentage, their fielding numbers are pretty good. They've been consistently top 10 in the league in terms of a lot of fielding stats all year long. But when the Nationals do make an error, it's pretty costly. And we saw it again today. We saw it, but it seems like, you know, the pitching, there's mental errors of the pitching or, you know, actual physical errors of the pitching as well. And then it gets compounded by a fielding error as, you know, in addition to that. And that's what happened to the Nationals. And I was sitting there and I texted Dan Wilson from Locked On Phillies because at this point in the game, the Phillies had made a couple errors too in that fourth inning. And I was like, look, this is either, it shows you how bad the Nats are, how good the Phillies are, a little bit of both, or how talented the Phillies are. The fact that they're playing like crap in the field. Uh, they got a couple errors. Uh, Spencer Howard can't seem to find the strike zone at all. And the Nationals are only up one nothing, And it turns into 4-1. And, you know, he texted me back and said, he said, I think it shows how, how talented the lineup can be. Now, it doesn't really show, you know, a lot of evidence of, of progress, but it shows you how talented and how good they can be. And he said, you know, he said, oh, you have 20th most runs in baseball, but let's be honest, their lineup was very good last year. And he said for injuries, other reasons they haven't been. But I thought this was, you know, better teams capitalize off mistakes, and that's what the Phillies did. The Phillies capitalized off some Nationals' mistakes, they made it four to one there, and the Nationals, you know, a three-run lead. I mean, it feels like they're playing catch-up. Uh, save that Orioles series. You never feel like the Nationals are going to come from behind. Josh Bell, it's a home run in the eighth inning. Solo shot makes it four to two. Uh, Bryce Harper, though, in the eighth, adds another run with a single, makes it five to two, and the Nats end up losing this game by a score of five to two. They managed four hits across the board. They got Spencer Howard out of the game, you know, pretty early. Right, he only makes it two and a third innings. But the Phillies bullpen, they made them look like uh, one of the best bullpens in the league, and we know that they're not. And they, on the Penn side of things, um, the Nationals put, you know, enough, not enough pressure, but they did put some pressure on. You know, they got uh, three hits against the Penn and four walks, and that's not enough as a whole, but there's some pressure and just didn't capitalize. And what I mean by that is the Nationals were 0-4-8 with runners in scoring position. And you take a look at the guys in the middle of the order, too, Trey, or at least the front part of the order, rather, Trey, 1 for 5. Josh Harrison, 0 for 2 with a walk. Juan Soto, 0 for 4 with a walk. Uh, Josh Bell was 1 for 4. Kyle Schwarber was 0 for 3. So you put that front part of the lineup, and that doesn't get to the part the you know, the part where Starling Castro was 1 for 4. I mean, they were all pretty bad. But two hits across the board for those first five guys in the lineup. And, the, you know, they're just not producing enough. And it's a theme. And this was a day when the Nationals should have, not, should have taken advantage with what they got. I mean, Joe Ross ended up giving him six innings, and besides that one inning that he had where things really blew up, he was pretty solid the entire way. Uh, Sam Clay gave up a run on three hits and was not able to complete his outing. Kyle Finnegan came in 
and clean that up in the eighth inning. But yeah, I mean, on the whole, just not enough from the offense. And, and this is going to happen sometimes. And the offense needs to be able to respond and recover. I mean, they only lost five to two. You know, and you have one bad inning, you know, and then they get one run the rest of the game, still hold them under five. You got to be competitive. And it didn't feel like the Nats were ever knocking on the door of being that competitive. That solo home run is just not enough. And they made that pen for Philly look pretty good. Move ahead to Sunday. Okay. So the situation here, I mean, this was a, this is one of the more bizarre games that I've seen. The game lasted over four hours. It started off, it got off to a weird start, you know, in the first inning, because first of all, Austin Voth is starting and he has not started since last year. We all know how it went. So that was kind of weird. And I believe he actually came out of the bullpen, uh, like literally out of the bullpen to start the game, right? Usually you see starters, they're out there, they're in the dugout and they come out to go start the game. That was not the case for Austin Voth. I believe it's what the, at least the radio crew uh, had been saying at, in the first inning. And then, you know, I was able to watch, and he gets a 3-2 count on a double Herrera. And then, uh, you know, right after that, I mean, they get a, a ball that hits the umpire right in the face. Brian Onora gets hit right in the face. Looks okay. And then, or I don't think it was a 3-2 count when that happened, but um, earlier in the bat, you know, he got hit in the face, then came back. And at 3-2, he had to call time and go into the dugout and looked like he was going to get sick. Now, I have not seen anything official on what happened to Brian Onora. Uh, I don't know what the you know what the the official word is on how he's doing. Hopefully he's doing okay. But you'd assume that if he, after he takes one rocketing off the mask and looked like he was going to go get physically ill after that, you're worried about a concussion just because of the symptoms there. Not saying that's what the case is, but you know maybe it was hot outside and taking one off the mask triggered that from him. But still, you're definitely concerned about that situation for him. And hopefully he is okay. So the Nats take a big break after that. And then later on in the game, uh, in the top of the third, I believe it was right. Because, you know, at that point, you know, both have gone two innings. Austin Voth is squared around a bunt, takes a ball from Vince Velasquez in the face, tries to get out of the way. Luckily, it hit part of his helmet, gets hit in the nose. And so he has to deal with that. And we'll have a, we'll talk about that tomorrow, kind of, you know, what it means and, and how Austin Voth is doing as we get more information and more full report on it. But he had to come out of the game at that point. And he had pitched two innings, had not surrendered a hit, but the Nationals had to go to their bullpen uh, and a bullpen day a whole lot sooner than they wanted to. And it just threw everything off. But it was a weird game. You know, he's bleeding out of his nose. and It was just <laughs> awful because you could tell Vince Velasquez was, was really upset with himself um, in that spot. And then the Nationals progressed, moved forward. Juan Soto hit a ball the opposite way and bases loaded, scored a run. And guess what happened? The Nationals had bases loaded. Strike out from Schwarber, or strike out from Bell rather. Strike out from Schwarber, and then they got a uh, they got um, Stalin Castro. He was able to pop out. So the issue I have here is that uh, the pitches Velasquez was throwing. I mean, he threw a couple challenge fastballs, especially to Schwarber. Bell went ahead of the count two one, and then got caught on a pitch low, and you know you could tell he was hunting a fastball two one. You gotta still make it sure it's your pitch. Three one bases loaded is a great spot to be in, and he and he was hunting for a pitch that was low, evened it up at two two. Next pitch, fastball inside, try to swing at that one as well, and was really defensive with that swing, even accounting two two. Uh, you know where they've the the thought prevailing thought is, hey, you're probably get a two two fastball. It's usually in the zone. This one was not um, because you know the hitter never or the pitcher rather never wants to get it to three two. But you still have to be aware, hey, that pitch is way too far inside. If you're going to go with a defensive swing, try to fight it off, you better make contact. He did not. And then Schwarber got a couple fastballs, one outer half, one towards the, more towards the middle, 
where he should have been on them. Uh, he really should have been on them. It was not a good enough at bat. And then I, I thought Castro battled, but in the end of the day, he came up empty. And he's in a slump as well. So th- those guys, you know, I know the front part of the lineup did make some noise today, but um, it got off to a bad start because the Nationals couldn't put any meaningful pressure on them. And they, they did go up 3 nothing. but the problem was, you know, in a bullpen day like that, when you actually have to go to the rest of the pen a lot faster because your, your starter, in, in quotes, you know, your, your starting guy, uh, gets knocked out of the game, they were not up for it. And their fourth inning, I mean, what an absolute disaster the Nationals were in the top of the fourth. A bottom of the fourth, rather. We talked about it. Uh, you know, I just talked about it a couple seconds ago. Yes, this is usually a very good defensive team. But holy hell, man. I mean, this was so bad. They get an out in the inning. They walk Real Muto. Um, there's an infield single that, that puts Bryce on at first and Real Muto at second. And then Kyle Finnegan comes in. There is a fielding error by Jordy Mercer, which allows the bases to be loaded. Andrew McCutcheon singles. Uh, Brad Miller walks. Alec Bohm walks. There's a fielder's choice that scores a run. Then uh, um, Joyce comes in to hit for Velasquez. There's a strikeout, swinging strikeout, where the drop third strike allows the runner to score in this situation. And then Odubel Herrera singled as well to make it at that point and drove in two runs, 7-3. to three. And, uh, and then Apollo Espino came in the game, walked Real Muto, and eventually got Bryce Harper to ground out. So... Uh, none of the guys particularly pitched well. Nobody fielded well. A couple cue ball shots, tough stuff. You know, it was just a really awful inning. And I put the Nationals in a 7-3 hole. Now I thought, hey, look, 7-3. Vince Velasquez has not been sharp today. The Nationals were not up for it. In the fifth inning, Alec Bohm hits a uh, – or Brad Miller, rather, hits a two-run home run. The Nats do answer in the sixth. They get uh, three runs in the sixth to make it 9-6. to six. But at this point, you do need the, the, the pitching – to hold up a bit more, it did not. Real Muto hits a three-run home run subsequently after the top of the sixth inning. We make it closer. It's 12-6, and that's where we stayed the rest of the way. And so I know the circumstances were odd, really very odd in this Sunday game. Nationals dropped that one 12-6, but it still felt like they should have been more competitive than they were. And I know it does really suck for Vogt because he's injured, and also he was pitching well in a spot where, look, if he had continued to do well today, I think he would have. Uh, it would have been a huge building block for what's a great season for him. He was so bad last year, and they moved him to the pen, and he's had so much success. And he started out so well, and look, he did his job at the plate. I mean, sadly, he just it, it you know he took one in the face, but still, you can't say the guy didn't do his job. And uh, it was going to be in the game, still it was going to remain in the game and keep contributing to the cause, you know, the best he could. And he was in a good position, and it, it's just really crappy the way it happened. And the Nationals also just kind of folded up shop after that in terms of the pitch. The pitching was not there. The fielding was horrible. This It was one of the more embarrassing bad innings that you'll see from a team. Uh, and I know, once again, I've, I've been critical. And here's the thing. They're at this point, let's see, so you, you, you factor in the four games they split. So they're three and, uh, three and four right now in the seven games they've played on the road trip. It's not a bad spot to be in. Not, not, not a bad spot to be in. They're not uncompetitive at this point. You know, I was saying, hey, look, if they were now, they dropped the last two games. They're, you know, that's that's a bad spot to be in. Three and six in the road trips. Not, uh, it's not where you want to be at all. If they drop the next two games, three and six, you know, it's in coming home against the Giants. That's you don't like you don't like what's happening at that point. But you know, if they can split with Tampa and go four and five in the road trip. You're you're around five hundred, and I'm not sure there's too much you can complain about. If you turn it on later on, now you know in terms of I mean overall results, 
there is a lot to complain about about the individual play. And that's ultimately what's going to keep them moving forward, right? So we can't just keep putting everything in, in a vacuum. Uh, the fact that the Phillies were spotting them base runners and guys in certain positions, and it felt like the Phillies were down 4 nothing yesterday in, in the Saturday game, but it was only one nothing, and that's what allowed them to get back in it, you know, thanks to also in part because of an error and some bad pitching from Joe Ross. This is what I'm talking about, is that the, the, the Nats are, are doing what the reverse of what really good teams do, is that they're they're the ones making mistakes, and they're not capitalizing off the other team's mistakes. That's what bad teams do. Bad teams don't capitalize. Bad teams repeatedly make the mistakes. So uh, you have to be concerned right now about the Nationals' quality of play, and hopefully a day off can help them get their minds right as they head into Tampa. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll set up where the Nationals are in terms of the division right now, overall record, and, and as they hit the day off, what to look for. We'll have a full Tampa preview coming uh, tomorrow and also kind of looking ahead preview as well. We'll talk about the Giants series because uh, it's a busy week for the Nats, a very busy week and two really difficult teams coming up for the Nationals as they head into next week. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting, best for you protein bar out there right now. They've got nine delicious flavors at BuiltBar.com. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. It really is something for everybody. Go to BuiltBar.com right now. Use that promo code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, LOCKED15, for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, so as we sit right now, the Nationals are in uh, last place in the division, tied with the Marlins. They're 24-32, and 32, so eight games under. Uh, they've lost back-to-back games. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10, even though, you know, they're not like there hasn't been any positive signs at all. So I feel like it's a bit misleading kind of just with their form lately. They're still six and a half games back, so not totally out of this thing yet. If the Mets finish the job right now, they're up 4-1 uh, to one in the top of the eighth in, uh, in San Diego. So if the Mets finish the job, that lead goes to seven games. So the Nationals... Right now, eight games under 500, seven back potentially, six, you know, if, if there's a comeback. But, you know, it's one of these situations now where I think the Nationals just need to worry about themselves because um, if you look at the way they've played, you can't, be score, you can't be scoreboard watching the rest of the division. It's been brought up on broadcast. You know, Friday night they said, hey, the Nats made up a full game on everybody in their division. Great. But with the quality of play the Nationals have right now, especially, you know, with starting pitching and the fielding and the concerns because the Nationals really aren't doing anything particularly well right now. They've got to worry about themselves. And going 1-0 every day has never made more sense than right now because this team's got to figure out a way to get themselves going 1-0 every day before they can worry about anybody else. I know teams and coaches always say, worry about yourself, control the controllables, all those things. But part of baseball is seeing who's around you and, and you know, what you have to do to catch certain teams. Um the Nationals can't do any of that. They, they've got such a tough schedule, and they aren't playing a, a high enough quality of ball to care about anybody but themselves right now. And I, I think that they can make those adjustments, not saying it translates into wins, but at least cleaning the stuff up this weekend that cost them a couple games because errors and poor pitching and, and you know walks and drop third strikes cost them. It's stuff at the major league level that can't cost you. Uh, it can't put you behind the eight ball in back-to-back days. I know there was some... Uh, lack of luck. We saw that Strasburg start. Look, they recovered from a, a, an injury, riddled Steven Strasburg start, and punched back and won a game. 
you got to be able to punch back on a consistent basis. Not every single time. Not going to always win, but when Austin Voth goes down like today, you got to, you know, you got to say, hey, look, bullpen day where our bullpen starter goes down, clean it up. Let's see if we can keep ourselves competitive, stay grinding. And they didn't do that today. They didn't do that uh, when you know, they, they knocked Spencer Howard out of the game on Saturday. So they've got to do that moving forward. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at LO underscore nationals. You can follow me at Josh Neighbors underscore. Until next time, my friends, as always, stay safe.